Hey, good morning, all of you beautiful people. How are you doing today? Are you good? Are you excited to be in church? I hope so, I know I am. It's so good to be with you. Hey, if I haven't met you, my name is Taylor. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, so thankful for the honor of your time this morning. If you got a Bible, ladies and gentlemen, go ahead and open up to Psalm 27. Uh, We're gonna wrap up our series on this whole idea of becoming a house of prayer today, and we just gotta kinda jump on in. We got a lot to cover. Uh, We're gonna be tackling some big questions today, guys, questions of life and of suffering, and how does the Christian faith work in the midst of suffering, which is very applicable for us as a county in this moment that we're navigating through right now. We're gonna be dealing with questions of desire and it's this idea of what do you want more than anything, right? What are you building your life towards? What do you want more than anything, right? The thing that you think is gonna give you happiness and contentment and fulfillment and is that thing going to give you what it promised or are you selling out for a lesser pleasure than what God has for you? And what's interesting about this idea, just the first big thought here today is that psychologists actually will tell us that your happiness is the greatest motivating factor in your life. Did you know that? The number one motivating factor in your life is what is gonna make me happy. This is why you spend your money the way that you do. This is why you do the things that you do. This is why you married the person that you married. They might not be making you very happy right now. I know we're in holiday season, which can lead to some, you know, increased conflict in the home. And if that's you, Godspeed, I don't have much time, much for you today. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that in the coming weeks but, and help you get ready for that. But, right, like they did make you happy at one point. That's why you married them, that your happiness is the number one motivator in your life. And here's the thing. If I told you that I can point you towards the pathway that will lead you towards true fulfillment, true joy, and true happiness, you would do one of two things. Number one, you'd lean in or you'd check out because you're so jaded and disillusioned and disappointed by life. But the reality is, is this is exactly what David is gonna do in Psalm 27 today. Let me give you some context context on David in the book of Psalms. David is this massive Old Testament figure. He was a warrior, he was a shepherd boy, man after God's own heart. He was king of Israel. He had everything that anyone could ever want. And uh, his greatest desire and pursuit in his life was God. He wrote a a lot of the Psalms, and uh, which is kind of the big book right at the center of your Bible. They're essentially a bunch of prayers and songs that David had written unto the Lord. And uh, in Psalm 27, this is exactly what he's doing. He's like, listen, I have found the thing that the human heart was made for. And David's gonna say, let me give you the pathway here. And so that's, that's what he's gonna do. And so let's, let's look at Psalm 27, just jumping right in here. Verse one, uh, right off the bat, David says this, the Lord. Okay, full stop right there. We need to talk about this because this is crazy what's going on here because what David is doing is what you and I don't want him to do. Right here, right? What's he doing? He's starting with God. Because what do you and I wanna do? We wanna be the center of everything. This is how we think as 21st century Western modern people is we tend to think that we are the center of history and the center of the universe and everything really revolves around us. And if you doubt me, ask your spouse on the way home if you live like that or not. I'm sure they would love to enlighten you. That this is what we want to do. We want David to go straight at, what does this mean for me? Give me 10 principles to a better marriage. And the reality is the Bible and and David is, he's not gonna do that right now. He starts with the Lord, God. 
guys. He's like, listen, you have to get the Lord right first. We have to start here. You have to start with the Lord. David doesn't say, okay, here's three things that you need to do to live a happier, healthier, better life while he's trying to sell you his essential oils, right? Like he's not... He's not doing that. What's he doing is he's pointing you to God and saying, listen, you have to start here. We have to start here. We tend to put ourselves at the center and the Bible over and over again is gonna say, no, that's the reason why your life is so dysfunctional. You have to put God there. And so already what happens is we see stuff like this in the Bible. I know you, I know what you do. You see stuff like this in the Bible and what do you do? You go to sleep on it, right? Boring, right? Like, give me the good stuff. What is, what is God gonna do for me? What does this mean for me? How do I apply this to my life? And, uh, and David is gonna press up against that today. It, here's the point. If you get, listen, this is really good. If you get everything else in life right, but God wrong, you get everything wrong. Everything wrong. If you, you can get everything in life right, but if you get God wrong, you miss everything. In fact, the story of Jesus, if you look at the Gospels, the story of Jesus over and over and over again, he's saying, listen, you could get everything wrong, right? Like you could get all of life wrong. You could blow your life up because of bad decisions, right? Your family blew up in a million pieces. You're a disaster because the decisions that you made yesterday are catching up to you today and you're dealing with the repercussions of that. You've got sin in your life and brokenness in your life, right? You're just a disaster of a person. Jesus is like, you could get everything wrong, but if you get me right, says Jesus, God in the flesh, you get everything right. This is the gospel, guys. This is what Jesus says because Jesus comes and he says, listen, I can forgive you. I can heal you. I can restore you. If you get me right, you get everything right. And this is why David is starting with the Lord. And here's the thing about the key to happiness, guys. You have to start there. If you wanna be a happy, joyful person, you have to get God right first. And so the question is, okay, so David is pointing us in the direction of God. What does he actually say about God? What does he want to preach to us about the Lord? And he says this, great rest of the first verse. I love this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Now, if you're a Christian, you're like, oh yeah, that's cuddly and that's awesome and that's nice and I love that verse and I'll put it on my Instagram page and, and the background on my screen. But here's the thing, guys. Do you know how offensive what David is saying right there is? The Lord is my light and my salvation. This is so offensive because here's the thing. This idea of light and salvation, these are similar terms that the Bible uses to basically preach to you and say, listen, you're in the dark and you're lost, Right? And we go to sleep on that. But that's what David is saying here. He's like, listen, you are in the dark and you are lost and you, you actually need to be saved. And this is what the gospel says. Number one, the gospel says that you need to be saved. The message of Jesus, that something has gone terribly wrong. You're lost, you're in the dark, but in fact, it's worse. The second thing that the gospel says is you can't save yourself. That Jesus is the only way, right? What is David saying? The Lord is my light and my salvation. He is the only means unto me receiving light and salvation. David's like this. Listen, play us apart from Jesus, you're in the dark, right? You're spiritually dead, you're lost, you've got sin on you, you cannot pull yourself out of that pit, right? You actually need Jesus to step into that black hole and pull you up out of it and save yourself. You cannot do it. You need Jesus to do it. He's the only way. Now, this, this is very different, can we be real, than the message that culture is preaching at you. Would you agree or disagree? 
What's culture saying? Culture is saying, listen, man, find the power within. Look inside of yourself. Find the power within. Pull it out. You can save yourself. Now, here's the thing. You are, Jack, so full of potential, man. It's crazy. But you are not strong enough to deal with sin. You are not strong enough to save yourself. You need Jesus to do it. Culture's coming to you and saying, listen, you know, the, the great sin is not being true to yourself. You just need to be true to yourself. Cast off all, you know, any traces of authoritarianism and somebody telling you how to live out your truth. Here's what the gospel says. The gospel doesn't say be true to yourself. The gospel says deny yourself. That's step one of Christianity, guys, is deny yourself, not be true to yourself and affirm yourself, but deny yourself. Culture says you're a snowflake. There's nobody like you. You've got a beautiful heart. Actually, you wanna know what the Bible says about your heart? You wanna know what the Bible says about your heart? Look at this, Jeremiah 17. Look at this. This is great if we have the verse. Jeremiah 17, I think it's verse, verse nine. Let me give you the Sparknotes version here. The heart is desperately sick. It's deceitful above all things, right? Somebody comes up to you like, man, you've got a great heart. No, you don't. You have a horrible heart, right? Right? You, you've got a heart of pure gold. No, you don't, dude. It's literally desperately sick and gross, and you need a heart transplant. This is where the gospel starts, right? It offends you before it saves you. It cuts you down and strikes you down before Jesus actually saves you, right? This is what the gospel does. Because here's the thing. Why, why I know that's true about you is because I know that's true about me. Okay, and, and here's the thing, the good that I do and the good that you do, you know why you do it? It's because it's ultimately good for you. The reason why you do good stuff is because it's good for you. Let me give you an example from my life, real world. Uh, my wife, uh, you know, I, she, she'll do this every once in a while where she'll come up to me and she's like, hey, Tay, can I get a night out with my friends? You know, we wanna, I haven't really seen them in a little bit, wanna get out of the house. You can, you know, it, it'd be cool if you'd make dinner for the kids and put the kids to bed and, and I'll just take a few hours to go and hang out with them. And I say, you know, because I'm a great husband. Yeah, sure, babe, go for it. But here, you wanna know what's really happening in my head? Now I have this beautiful thing called leverage. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. And, and right, because then she goes to do her thing and then I've got that leverage in my back pocket. Next time I wanna do something, right, I can say, hey, babe, remember that one time that I let you go and do this? Now I wanna go do my thing. And she can't say no, it's great. And that's, that's how to have a great marriage right there. So I did have something for the married people. You're welcome, okay? So, right, that's, that's what we do. The good that we do, we do it because it's good for us. Let me give you another example. So we've had disaster in our county this last week. Uh, we've had some, uh, just an amazing response from so many people, and, and it's so great. And what God is doing with Project Restore, we're gonna talk about that. It's awesome. And, uh, but here's the thing. We jump to serve in moments like this. My question is, if this was you, did you do it because you really love God and people or because at least the micro motivation of your heart was because it makes you feel better about yourself. Whoops. I'll leave that there for you to deal with. We'll move on over here, okay? Right, but that's the point, guys, right? Like we have this thing. Our heart is deceitful. It deceives us. It's desperately sick. And this is the good news of Christianity, right? It's not behavior modification. You literally cannot behave yourself to salvation. You need heart transformation. You need nature regeneration. And this is what Jesus comes to do in the context of your life, right? This is the pervasiveness of sin. We tend to think of sin only in regard to the big stuff that comes out of us. Murder, adultery, you know, theft, all of those sort of things. But the reality is what the Bible does is it comes around and it says, no, listen, sin is actually deeper than that. It's infected the micro motivations of your heart, right? This is what, this is the reality of sin. And here's the thing. 
this idea of salvation, it's not just purely a religious idea. Everybody is looking for this. If you're here, you're not a Christian, dude. I'm stoked you're here watching online, not a Christian. Thank, so thankful that you're here with us. But this is what everybody really is looking for. We're all looking for salvation. We're looking for something uh, to come and save us, whether you're still searching for it, of that thing that's gonna save you, or you've decided what that one thing is, that you, are, you, you, you either are actively looking or you have already deciding on it, uh, that this is what's gonna be my salvation, this is what's gonna save me, what's gonna save me from my my boring life, what's gonna save me from my insecurity, my brokenness, my self-hatred, my bad marriage, uh, the decisions I've made that have blown my life and others' lives up. Where can I find true happiness, contentment, and joy, and rest? And so what do we do? We end up looking in all of these different places. Some of us look to religion and Eastern philosophy and Taoism and Buddhism and, and you know, self-actualization and enlightenment is my path to salvation and where I'm going to be saved. Some of us turn to material things and money that Money is gonna be what saves me, that builds me out of all of my problems, that makes me happy. Some of us turn to sex, to pleasure, to beauty, to power, to whatever it is. We look to relationships, right? Single people take notes. This is really good. Don't do this, all right? We tend to look to relationships. I just need to marry somebody that isn't a total psychopath to save me from all of my brokenness, pain, trauma, and loneliness, what are you doing? You're putting this person in the place of who is going to save you, right? And it doesn't work. Here's the reality, guys. Every other God that you choose besides Jesus is a bad God. Ultimately, the floor on all of those things is gonna fall out from under you and you're gonna be left wanting. The exercise program, right, isn't gonna, the, the diet isn't gonna save you because you're gonna try it for a week and fall off because you're not disciplined, right? You're gonna get old, your body's gonna break down and fail you. You get married, right? If the person that you were expecting were you were gonna marry them and they were gonna save you, you find out that they're just as dysfunctional if not more dysfunctional than you are. So that doesn't work. If beauty is your God, you know what's gonna happen? You're gonna become a self-obsessed narcissist, right, who's, who's, who's never capable of healthy relationships with other people because you're insecure and you're broken. You're gonna die a million deaths as you age and you get wrinkles. If money's your God, if money's your one thing, the one thing you want more than anything, you're never going to have enough. And here's the thing, for some of you, and I wanna take some time to just reflect on the message of Jesus because for some of you, right, the greatest need of your life today, of which there's many in your life and in our community, and we're addressing those again, we've got this great ministry, incredible family at our church, started this ministry called Project Restore, and they're doing the work, dude. It is so awesome. We got volunteers in a bunch of homes this last week that are mitigating damage, and we're looking to, I think we've raised like over $100,000 already, guys. Come on, can we give it up to Jesus for that? That's so cool. <laughs> And we're, we're gonna be raising more. And the idea here is we wanna get into these homes and actually restore them and get these people back into their homes after we restore them. And so, right, like it's, it's so good what God's doing there. And, and the point is maybe you need help and we wanna help you. Please get in contact with us. Maybe you're house flooded. But here's the thing, right? The greatest thing that needs to happen in your life today, if this is you and you're a non-Christian, isn't that your flood insurance comes through. It's not that you dodge the COVID bullet and you get through this thing without getting sick. It's not that you get more money. It's not that you get the promotion or, or whatever it is that you're looking for, that you're, looking, that you're building your life on, right? That you get your marriage and your family fixed. All of those things are good and they're important. We wanna help you live into the vision of God for your marriage and your family. But if you're here and you're not a Christian, listen, man, the most important thing, need that you have in your life right now is you need Jesus to actually save you from sin. 
That's the most important thing that needs to happen. And here's the thing about the saving work of Jesus, guys. I love this. It's free. Jesus' offer of salvation is free. You need to be saved. You can't save yourself. But number three, Jesus' offer of salvation for you is free. That's good news. Jesus paid what it costs you. This is why everything that we're doing with Project Restore is free to our community. Costs you. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. Uh, but it's free to our community, right? We, we actually have this, uh, uh, this Google document that we sent out to everybody that is requesting services, and we just get their name, phone number, contact information. Tell us a little bit about your house. How can we help you? On that form, we do not have a question, uh, have you been really naughty lately? Right, we didn't put that on there. Have you been a good person lately? Why? Because guys, this is the image of the gospel. This is, this is Jesus, right? This is, this is God's heart. He gives us salvation as a free gift at his expense, right? And we've, we've, we've served some people the last couple of weeks that have been very naughty and our crews have some awesome stories. I'm sure they would love to tell you about just how naughty people are in Bellingham and Whatcom County, but uh, that's neither here nor there. We, we didn't ask that question. It's amazing. Here's the thing. Christianity is not built on a Santa Claus theology. All right. Have you ever think, uh, let me, let me get myself into some more trouble here. Have you ever thought about how crazy it is uh, what we teach our kids about Christmas, right? There's an invisible overweight guy that's watching you, Johnny, while you're awake and sleeping and he's weighing up your good works. He's keeping a list of all the good things that you do and all the bad things that you do. And if you're bad, if there's more bad than good, then guess what? You get Cole. But if you're, if you're good and you kind of can ascribe to that somewhat of a moralistic standing of being a good person, then you get what? You get presents. Guys, that's called the gospel of works. That is literally anti-Christianity. It's a straight up heresy and you got to burn it to the ground. Okay. So that is it, right? Like this is, this is the gospel is the complete opposite that you get in on Jesus's ticket, guys. It's not about you being good enough but about Jesus being good enough for you. And in fact, D.A. Carson, he says this. I love this. This is so good. He said, if God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he's getting into that idea of what's the most important thing in life. What do you need? He would have sent an economist. If he perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, hello, somebody, he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death, and he sent us a savior. So Christmas is all about, guys, right? That God sent us a savior. And ultimately, and here's the thing, you need to, you need to pay attention. There's two types of people there are people that have accepted the Lord as their light and their salvation, and there are people who have rejected the Lord Jesus as their light and as their salvation. There are two types of people, right? You can either sit here and call Jesus a liar and say, Jesus, you didn't need to die on the cross for my sin and make me right in my relationship with God. I can save myself. I'm not that bad. Hell is your eternal home. 
That's the first type of person. Second type of person, you actually believe Jesus. You say, you know what, Jesus, you did need to die on the cross for my sin and make me right in my relationship with God. I need you to save me, and heaven is your eternal home, and you get God forever. Here's the thing, dude, people aren't talking like that, right? That's weighty. It's my job to be really clear with you and you to make a decision. Is the Lord going to be your light and your salvation or not? Eternity literally hangs in the balance for you. If you haven't made that most important decision, we want to encourage you to surrender your life to Jesus today. I'll give you an opportunity to do that in a minute. But here's the thing. David's like, listen, I'm on team Jesus, right? He's the only way. I want you on team Jesus. So does David. So does Jesus. And here's the thing. Uh, like when you, when we're gonna start to get into the effect of this in your life right now because this isn't just make the Lord your light and salvation and then you go to the happy place when you die, but your life actually changes radically right now. Number one, you get a confidence in uncertainty and suffering. Did you know that? That when the Lord becomes your light and your salvation, you get a confidence in the midst of uncertainty and suffering. Verse one in Psalm 27, it's this question of what do you trust, right? What do you put your trust in? What do you lean on in difficult times? And jump down to verse three, look at this. David says, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. This is what happens when the Lord is your light and your salvation. I mean, think about that. Think about how crazy that is, guys. He's like, literally, there is an army camped around my house. Like, imminent death is surrounding David on all sides. There is no escape. And he says, listen, even then, I'm not too freaked out. Like, I'm gonna be confident. Yeah, God's gonna come through. What's he saying? I am expecting God to move, says David. Now, here's the thing, man. I want you expectant for God to move. I want your faith cranked through the roof, man. I want you expectant for God to move in your life. I want you expectant for God to move in the context of that sin issue and that addiction that you have. I want you expectant for God to move in the context of your family, of your marriage, the difficulty of of your life, the suffering, suffering that you're navigating through. I want you expectant for God to move in your church and in your city and in your county because David had a confidence and so can you. David expected God to move. So you can expect for God to move in your life too. <clears throat> David's saying, listen, I'm gonna be okay, right? I've got an army around me. You're gonna be okay. You're gonna make it. Jesus is gonna send help. And what we tend to do, let's be real, this is human nature 101, what do we do? We tend to focus more on what's coming against us than who's for us. This is human nature, right? This is what we do. We tend to focus more on the fact that there is a flippant army surrounding me, the impossibility, the sickness, the disease, the dysfunction, my own personal brokenness and whatever, and that, that we focus more on that than who's for us, which is the God of the universe, right? And so, and so we get discouraged and beat up and then we don't make any progress and of course Jesus wants to change that. David's like, listen man, put your hope in God. Put your attention and your focus on God and he'll come through for you. I was thinking about this last couple weeks. Guys, this is the image of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right? He's, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane literally moments before he's betrayed and crucified and murdered, and he's sweating blood because he's so freaked out. He's crying out to the Father, God, if there is a plan B, let's go that route. You know, 
Like, I, like this whole suffering, you know, death and, and becoming a sacrifice for human sin and absorbing the wrath of God, like didn't really have that on my list of what I was really stoked about doing today. Maybe there's a creative option that we can take where I don't have to do this, right? Jesus is literally, he's got his, his imminent death and, and, and suffering and crucifixion in front of him. He was about to be betrayed and abandoned and flogged and mocked and spit on and abused with nails pierced through his hands and his feet and die. And so here he is sweating blood. Have you ever been there, right? Maybe, maybe this is kind of like, you know, at, on a much lower scale because I know you wanna put yourself on the scale of Jesus. I'll tell you, he was having a way worse day than you are right now, right? But, but maybe you're kind of in, in a moment of suffering right now. Uh, maybe you're in the midst of a suffering and a hard moment. Or if you have been there or you have been there, have you ever asked the question, God, where are you? Where are you? Why, what, this doesn't make any sense. Can I let you in on something? Suffering never makes sense. You know why? Because it was never God's plan. He's not the one doing it. He's the one that wants to undo it. And that is actively undoing it. This is why you need Jesus in your life. Suffering never makes sense. Maybe you're asking, why are you, God, why are you letting this happen to me? Why don't you just end my suffering? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? I don't get this. I'm so broken. I'm so tired. I'm so weary. I don't, I, like, why, why don't you just fix this right now? And Jesus says this. Listen, this is gonna put steel in your spine for those of you that are going through a difficult moment. Here's how life works. You're either going into a storm, you're in one, or you're coming out. Suffering is a part of life. And so I wanna put steel in your spine and help you navigate through this moment or, or the moment that's about to catch you off guard here in your future. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, as he was walking into immense suffering, Father, nonetheless, not my will, but yours be done. How crazy is that? In the midst of suffering, Jesus starts, Father, because here's what happens. When you suffer and you go through a hard time, what you begin to do is you begin to question your sonship, your identity. Does God still love me as a son? Jesus says, Father, not my will, but yours be done. He trusted the Father's will, right? This is crazy. Jesus is, Jesus is not coming off of that tree alive. And he's saying, listen, even, even then I trust you, Father. I trust that you're gonna raise me up to life again. I trust that you're gonna exalt me. I've got resurrection on the other end of this thing. God isn't gonna leave me dead in the tomb, right? But he's gonna raise me up. And Jesus surrendered to the Father's will, guys. Think about this, even to the point of his own crucifixion and death, right? And what happened? Jesus is killed, he's buried in the tomb. He lays there dead for three days. On the third day, his eyes pop open. He comes back to life and he's raised up. Jesus, God raises him from the dead and everything, uh, redemptive history continues to move on and now we have an opportunity to be right in our relationship with God. God rose him up. He ascended to the right hand of the power on high where Jesus is ruling and reigning right now with the crown that is firmly fixed on his head. He has no rivals, no predecessors, no successors. Nobody is threatening his rule and reign, not the circumstances of your life and the craziness of what you're going through and you are firmly planted in him if you are a follower of Jesus and you can have that same confidence that just like it wasn't the end for Jesus when I'm going through right now what's been done to me the difficulty of my past my present suffering even though it doesn't make any sense I'm gonna trust 
that there's resurrection out in my future. And here's the thing, man. Even if that relationship or that loved one or even you yourselves get buried, it's not the end of the story. If you belong to Jesus, it's never the end of the story. Christianity is not give your life to Jesus and it's gonna be easier and you're never gonna suffer and die. No, Christianity is a lot greater than that. Christianity is suffering doesn't have the last word and you're safe even in dying. That's for free. Now I'm gonna start charging you. Okay, so. For the Christian, guys, and I want, you to have a, I want you to have a confidence in uncertainty and suffering. For the Christian, you get to throw, <laughs> think about this, dude, your entire life onto God. You get to throw your entire life onto him and say, Father, just as you are faithful to raise Jesus from the dead, you're faithful to forgive me my sin, to conquer death for me, to give me eternal life. Just like you raised Jesus from the dead, I, I get to walk in that same confidence. And David's like, I found the one thing that can't be taken away from me and nothing else matters and it's God. Look at verse four. This is, this is amazing. David says this, one thing have I asked of the Lord? Again, we, we get that language, right? One thing, right? Everybody, this is like the mantra of today. Like, this is my big goal. This is what I'm building my life towards. This is what I'm focused on. You're focused, you're driven, you're an American, right? You're taking ground. This one thing, you're driven, right? We, we tend to, what we tend to do, guys, is we tend to put, I want, the one thing I want and I've asked of the Lord is stuff from God. I want his stuff. You wanna know why David was so crazy and why he did what he did and why he lived such a, a life of fulfillment and gratitude? It's because he didn't want stuff from God. He wanted God. He recognized that everything and anything he could get his hands on in life was a lesser pleasure than just being close to his God. This one thing have I desired. This is so subversive and countercultural, guys. This is crazy, and this is what blows your mind about today and what David is saying here. He fills in the blank completely different, right? I talked to you about all those options. One thing that I desire, money, sex, power, pleasure, whatever it is for you. One thing that I desire, David says, God, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord all the days of my life and inquire in his temple. Today's big idea, you want it, sermon and sentence, here's what it is. Those are the only people that are never disappointed. Those are the only people that are never disappointed. You have a black hole in you that's aching for eternity. Did you know that? This is why you keep stuffing temporal things in there and it never satisfies you. It doesn't work. Sure, it'll be awesome for a little bit. You'll have some fun, but it's always gonna leave you wanting and there's gonna be a day when it doesn't work and you're broken and you're, you're discouraged and you're right back to where you started. In fact, C.S. Lewis, he talks about this idea that for every longing, there's a fulfillment, right? You get hungry, there's food. Thirsty, there's water. Uh, beauty, there's art and creation. Desire, there's sex. For every human longing, there's a fulfillment. And he says this, so if we find within ourselves a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. You were made for another world. Where did that come from? Do you think evolution's gonna put that there? Right? Do you see that literally anywhere else, that pining for the new and the better world? You don't see that, right? I've got an Australian shepherd at home. He doesn't do this, right? Like he's, he's chilling, dude. He is having a good life. He's content. There's no pining for the better world for Baker. He runs our entire household. Let's be real, right? He's not looking for, but there's this thing on the inside of you that aches for eternity. 
And if there's a longing, if there's a fulfillment for every longing, the only logical explanation is that you were made for a better world. Why? God put that there. And it's meant to draw you to himself. And David's like, I found it, man. I found it. I found the answer to the longing of my soul. And it's the beauty of God. Now, let me ask you a question, okay? If you're asleep on me, wake up here. This is important. Let me ask you a question. What comes, what does your subconscious mind think about God? What is it, what, what, what comes, like what, what does your subconscious, what do you see in your subconscious mind when you look to God? Here's the thing, I was gonna ask the question, what words do you think of when you think about God? And some of you, the reality is you're so brainwashed by dead religion that you have all the right words. Oh, he's merciful, oh, he's good, he's good shepherd, yeah. kind, compassionate, and but it doesn't mean anything to you, right? They're just words. It's just dead, lifeless religion that's not alive and dancing on your heart. What do you see in your subconscious mind when you actually look towards God? Who's the God that you see when you're all by yourself and alone and life is rough and you, 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 you look his way, what do you see? Can you say beautiful, right? Can you say beautiful, did you know, we were actually we were in a prayer meeting this morning, and, and, and God's first self-proclaimed attribute in the Bible, do you know what it is? Compassionate. The Lord compassionate. This is the first thing that God reveals about himself in the Bible. He says, I'm, listen, I'm compassionate. Dude, some of you need to hear this today. You know, Jesus isn't coming into your life to rub your face in your sin and make you feel bad and beat you up and make you feel horrible. He, he, he loves to show you compassion. David encountered the God of compassion, and that's why he's saying, this is the one thing that I want. This is better than anything. I mean, and, and in fact, if you look at the book of Revelation, which is kind of a confusing book, uh, it's the book of Revelation, singular, not plural. By the way, take that to the bank, okay? It drives me crazy. Yeah, I'm just studying the book of Revelations. No, you're not. It's Revelation, okay? Uh, anyways, so you look at the book of Revelation, and we get this picture of, I can see the Bible trolls coming at me now. <laughs> have some good email back and forth this week. Um, and you'll eat a slice of humble pie, and we'll have fun. Okay, so Right, I'm just kidding. So you look at the book of Revelation, there's this moment where you have this, this heavenly throne room scene. You've got angels and living creatures, and these elders are seating on these thrones around Jesus' thrones, and you know, what, you know what they're doing? They take their crown, and they throw it at his feet, and they fall down on their face, and they worship. Think about that. The crown, you know what the crown is? It's the image of your own kingdom. It's the image on you, of your accomplishments, of your accolades, of what you've built your life on, of your money, of the power that you have accumulated. It's what you've built your life on. And they're standing before the glory and the beauty of the Son of God, and they're literally chucking it at his feet, and they're saying, it's total trash. I bought a lie. Take it all. Just let me sit here before this beautiful one. This is what David is saying. And here's the thing, guys. This is why Psalm 27, verse four, people are the only people that are never disappointed because those of you that desire God, you desire the most beautiful one, right? The, the angels and the living creatures, they never cease to call out, holy, 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 holy. It's another way of saying, saying transcendent beauty, transcendent beauty, transcendent beauty. I, my heart is exploding. I couldn't imagine being anywhere else, guys. Heaven is not gonna be, you're floating around in some cloud and you're a fat baby with a diaper and a heart, right? You literally get to behold the glory and the beauty of God for eternity. 
Are you excited about that? Okay, two of you. Wow. Maybe we'll, okay. We're just going to keep the 11 o'clock back, and we're just going to spend a little bit more time here, right? You get to spend forever, if you're a follower of Jesus, gazing upon his beauty. To desire God is to desire the most beautiful reality. To have God is to have everything. Dissatisfaction and disappointment, when you come in contact with his beauty, you realize, man, I was never made for any of those things. This is what I was made for, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, to be where he is. This is crazy, right? I mean, think about David. Lots of ladies, lots of money, lots of power, lots of land, lots of stuff, lots of toys. This one thing have I desired. All those things, they didn't come through for me. Just let me sit at his feet. (laughs) And if you don't want to do that, it's because you have a jacked up vision of God in your subconscious mind. This is why Paul talks about the renewing of your mind. You gotta be transformed. Who's the God that you see when nobody else is around? Can you say, even in the midst of suffering like Jesus did, Father, you're my dad. I trust you. Even if everything burns to the ground, I've got you and that's all that matters. Oh, this is good stuff, dude. (laughs) This will change your Life. Christianity is not only true, but this is why you want it to be true. There's a fulfillment for all the longings of your heart, and it's Jesus. David's like, I want to be in your temple where you are. I want you more than your stuff. This is the language of the house of prayer, guys. This is He's going to the temple, the place of worship, the place of prayer, that place of overlap between God and mankind. And he's saying more than anything, like I've found the supreme beauty. Let me just be with you. And in fact, Jim Cimbala, great quote. He says this, he's pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle. He says, you can tell how popular the pastor is by who shows up on Sunday, but you can tell how popular Jesus is by who shows up to the prayer meeting. I will drink to that. (laughs) I love it, dude. Just not having to prep a sermon every week and we could just pray. Let's just do that for a little bit, okay? Like, how awesome would that be? (laughs) Okay, so you guys got a little bit too excited about that. (laughs) I don't know what to think about that. I might need some counseling from my wife a little later, but what? no, I'm just kidding. Totally joking. I would love to do that, right? But here's, here's the thing, right? Like David is like, listen, I, like the, the, I want to be in his temple, in his house. The prayer meeting is empty, guys, in the church nationally because the prayer closet is empty at home. Right? What happens is we encounter God in the secret place. You live a life of relationship with Jesus and then out of the overflow of encountering him on your own, you get to come together and pray with other people and encounter God together and it's great, right? And this is, the re- this is what you were made for. If I could have a goal in your life as your pastor who loves the absolute crap out of you, I really do, I want you to know that I love you so much, right? As, as your pastor, if I could have a goal of your, for your life, you know what it'd be? that you would become a Psalm 27 verse four type person. If I've got a target for you, if we have a target as elders and pastors here, it's that you would become that kind of person. That you would step outside of all the narrative, the current cultural narratives that are being shoved down your throat through the 5,000 ads that you see every single day lobbying for your affection, your desire, your life, your money, your time, your affection. If I could have a goal, it would be that you would become that type of person. How? Let's come all the way down 
Okay, for you pragmatists, right? Uh, uh, how was how that actually gonna happen? We'll come down from the heights of, you know, the theology that we're talking about and these big concepts and ideas. Let me give you something that you can really hang your life on. David, why he said that? You wanna know why? He experienced God. He did. He was hearing God speak to him since he was a little boy, you know, in the shepherd fields. He, he experienced God. He walked with God. He heard God speak to him. He loved God. He had a relationship that was real with the Lord, right? He, he wanted God more than anything because he actually had experienced and, and, and saw with his own eyes the God of the universe, right? This is, this is the reality of David. So how are we gonna get you positioned in that direction? Because this isn't just for David, right? This is the birthright of the born again. If you're a Christian, this is, a, this is your birthright. And, and it's all about building a relationship, spending time with God. Here's the thing. I need you to understand this. This is awesome. Guys, I get to experience God every single day of my life. It's amazing. I was up this morning before I came to church. I'm reading my Bible. I'm encountering the God of the Bible, Prayed this morning. Today I get to encounter the God who answers prayer. Like I, I get to experience this and I want you to live into this as well. So let me give you kind of my process. Let me just get really practical here because you need to experience him to be able to live into the Psalm 27 verse four reality. So this has been a daily practice of mine for coming up on a decade. Uh, as best as I can, first thing in the morning, I'm cutting out time in my schedule for Jesus. And so here's, here's what I do, and I wanna give this to you to put to work in your life uh, so you end up being just as crazy as I am, okay? So what I do is I get up in the morning, get some coffee, sit by the fire, turn the fire on. I'm sitting with my dog, Baker, Australian Shepherd. The dude loves the presence of God. It's awesome. You know, he just comes and sits there and just conks out. It's great. And uh, I, I, I sit there with my Bible in my lap, and before I do anything, first thing that I do every single day is I give thanks Thank God. Thank you, God, for, for, for what you're doing in my life. You're so awesome. I just start with worship and thanksgiving. The Psalms talk about how we enter his courts with thanksgiving, his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. So this is where you want to start. You want to get your heart anchored on thanksgiving and worship and praise. And this is a moment of preparation, right? One thing that I've seen that's been probably one of the most biggest trip hazards for Christians trying to develop a daily practice of seeking God is you don't prepare your heart right. And so what we do is we sit with God in the morning and we feel like God's a million miles away. And so we just kind of stumble through our Bible reading and our prayer and we walk away discouraged, right? Have you ever been there? Raise your hand, moment of honesty, right? And it sucks, right? And, but here's the thing, your, your feelings are Lord or Jesus is Lord. You have a choice. You, got one, you get to choose one. You don't get them both, right? And here's the thing. What does Jesus say? I will never leave you or forsake you. This is why today when you go to spend time with Jesus and it's just you and him, nobody else there, you get to start with the word of thanksgiving because there's more good happening in your life than bad. And you get to, you get to begin to thank God for his presence. Listen, dude, you don't have to work hard for his presence. You don't have to work hard for his love, for his attention, for his affirmation and approval. You already have all of that in Jesus, man. This is not Santa Claus theology, right? You are loved and blessed by God. You get to thank him that he's with you, that he loves you. He's not mad at you, right? Come on, somebody. You don't have to, he's not at the other end of the universe and you have to work your way to him. This will change your prayer life if you do that one thing. It's a moment of thanksgiving and heart preparation. Okay, God, thank you that you're here. I don't need to work my way to you. You actually really like me and you've got something on your heart that's gonna be really great and encouraging for me today. Number two, the second thing I do is I invite him. 
Just a, just, just a moment of invitation. Holy Spirit, would you come and speak to me? Unless you speak to me, this book stays locked up. I need you to come and give me revelation. This is what David is saying, that I may inquire in your temple. He's saying, I want you to speak to me, God. I've got questions. I've got stuff that's going on in my life. I need you to speak to me. It's a moment of invitation. And and Jesus, I need you to come and do something awesome here and speak to me or else I go nowhere and this just all sucks. Number three, the third thing I do is prayerful meditation on God's word. Jason Hubbard talked about this. We got that packet we would love to give you. It's a great resource on how to do that. So let me give you an example of how to do that. If you can see this, this is my Bible. This is Psalm 27. First thing I do when I go to preach is I get alone with God in the text and I just make a bunch of scribbles and notes. And I'm reading it and I'm dialoguing with God about his word, right? How many of you know this isn't a dead book? The word is living. It's active. It's alive, right? This thing is alive. It's awesome. And so God will speak to you. And so I'm trying to read what God is saying and also keep my heart and my ears open to the Holy Spirit. Something jumps off the page at me. I'll take some notes. I'll pray through it, right? So here's how this would look for me. You're reading Psalm 27, let's say. The Lord is my light and my salvation. God, thank you that you're my light and my salvation. What are you doing? You're making it real for you. Thank you that you're my light and my salvation. And I'll meditate on that. You're my light, Your word is a light unto my feet, a lamp unto my path. Jesus, you're the light of the world. Thank you that you have shown your light on me, that you have saved me, right? So you're pray reading the Bible. You're bringing it into dialogue with God. You're interacting with the God of the Bible as you're reading the Bible. Next, what I'll do is spend some time in intercession and prayer, right? So I'm reading just through the Bible, and all of a sudden I'll find a verse. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Man, God, I've got this crazy thing going on in my life. I need you to show up and do something. I'm gonna walk in boldness and confidence like David did. What am I doing? I'm making it real to my life. I'm dialoguing with God. Or hey, you know what? This person has got this crazy thing going on in their life. They've got an army encamped around them. God, would you bring breakthrough? Would you bring healing? Would you do something awesome, right? And I'm just trying to partner with Jesus and what he wants to do. Because how many of you know, when you pray in agreement with God's word, It's like an atom bomb in the spirit going off, bro. Like it's powerful. When you pray God's word back to God in faith that he's gonna do it, it's literally like an atomic explosion in the spiritual realm, and it's awesome. And then the last, last thing I'll do before I go on with my day is I'll end with thanksgiving. And thank God, thank you, Jesus, that you're gonna do this stuff. Your word isn't gonna return to you void, right? You're so good. I give you thanks for today. My wife, kids, family, do some awesome stuff and use me for your glory today. That's my daily practice. And here's the thing, guys. This isn't just check a box and do the good Christian thing for the day. What I'm doing is I'm looking for heart connection with God, I'm looking for intimacy and relationship. This isn't about checking a box and going through the motions. This is about God is my dad and I love him and I want relationship with him and he wants relationship with me. I want my heart to connect. This is what Jesus modeled for you. And here's the thing. God wants to be found by you. David says in the Psalms, bringing this in for a landing here. You have said, verse eight, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek? God is saying to you, listen, come and find me. He doesn't hide himself from you not to be found. It's like, you know, finish, oh, let me just finish with this illustration. It's like my kids, uh, you know, one of the, their favorite things to do has always been to play hide and go seek. For whatever reason, I have no idea. But as they get older, it starts to be more fun for mom and dad, right? 
at, because at first, it's like when they're just kind of crawling around and walking around, I literally have to like go behind the kitchen cabinets and have three quarters of my body hanging out in clear view, right? So they can see me. And then as they get older, you can get a little bit more ninja with it and like stealthy. And like now, you know, they're walking around for 20 minutes trying to find me because I've contorted my body all crazy underneath the kitchen cabinet. You know, like I'm in the cabinet now and they're freaking out. Where's dad? But here's the thing, right? I, I always hide in such a way to be found by my kids. This is what the father does. He doesn't, he hides himself for you to draw in and to seek him. And that is where you will find him. So listen, man, I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you're here. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. You've got sin in your life and uh, you you need to make the Lord your light and your salvation. And I would encourage you, do business with God today. Come and surrender everything to Jesus. I can't think of a better moment for you to do that right now. Uh, Maybe you're here and, and let's be real, you need to dethrone some idols in your life and put Jesus there. You wanna know how to tell what an idol is? It's what makes you crazy when you think about losing it. So maybe that's you. You've put something else in that one thing seat in your life, and Jesus is like, that's, that's, my, that's my seat at the table. That's reserved for me. You're selling out. And he's saying, let, let me let, step into David's cry here that you would see my beauty and let me show you who I really am. I'm hiding in plain sight. Maybe you're here and you're going through a moment of suffering, man. And God's just saying, be confident. Even though it doesn't make sense, even though you might be asking the question, where are you? I don't get this. God is working. Even though an army and camp around, around you, you can have that same confidence. Whatever it is for you, man, do something. Just do something about it today. You need to give your life to Jesus. Get up, come forward. We'll pray for you, get you introduced to Jesus. You need to dethrone an idol. Get up here, come. We'll pray for you. We'll get that thing dethroned and get you out of here uh, more healthy with Jesus on the throne of your heart. Whatever it is, I wanna encourage you. Maybe you, you, you don't have a rhythm of spending daily time with God. Dude, pick up that tool. Spend 20 minutes a day to start your day with Jesus in his word. You don't know where to start? Start reading? Dude, start in John chapter one. Now you don't have any excuse. You're welcome, okay? Whatever it is for you. I want to challenge you to step into what God has for you. Would you stand up with me and I'm gonna pray us out. Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you for who you are, all that you've done. Jesus, you're so good. I pray that you'd bless your people and uh, do a mighty work in our midst, Lord. We are believing you for uh, transformation. Uh, Lord, would you make us a people that can say with David that you truly are our one thing. God, I pray if there's anybody in here that needs to give their life to you before they leave, that you'd give them the courage and the boldness to repent of sin and surrender their life to you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. All right, guys, thanks for coming. If we can pray for you, come up. Otherwise, have a great week. Remember to be kind to those that God has placed around you. We'll see you next Sunday.